Hi, this is Pastor Bob Yandian. Did you know that your name is known in heaven? Did you know your name is known in hell? Did you know if you're not saved, your name is not in heaven and even Satan doesn't know who you are? How do you get known in both kingdoms except Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? We're going to study today the seven sons of Sceva. So let's go to the Word of God together. For more than 40 years, Bob Yandian has been an expositor of the Bible, making seemingly complicated doctrine easy to understand. Grab your Bible and study the Word of God with Bob Yandian. Hello and welcome again to Student of the Word with Pastor Bob Yandian. Today we're going to get into one of my favorite stories in the Word of God. People say, what's your favorite part of the Word of God? Whatever I'm teaching at the moment, that is my favorite part of the Word of God. And I love this story. The seven sons of Sceva appeared during a time of revival in Ephesus and was Satan's attempt to sidetrack the revival and get people off on the uh, wrong, uh, going the wrong way during revival, appearing like he's part of the revival. This is what Satan loves to do, to come as an angel of light and show himself, oh, I'm really working with God. I'm part of his plan. No, he's not. And so it took some discernment in this case to realize that. And of course, we're going to talk about that. So you can talk with me to Acts chapter 19. You know, as I've studied this to teach it today, it's made me aware of the great chapters that this comes from. Uh, the revival at Ephesus literally started at the end of chapter 18, where Paul went there and visited. And uh, while he was there, again, he comes into chapter 19, and he's gone away to uh, for the day of Pentecost and comes back again. Aquila and Priscilla are helping him during this time. Apollos comes along to preach and teach. And when Paul comes back again, the, the revival really takes off. And there was a hunger in Ephesus like he hadn't faced in any other place. In fact, when Paul went there, he was open, openly welcomed into the synagogue to teach, and they asked him not to leave when he went back to Israel. Well, that never happened before. Every time he went in after a few days, I mean, they were chasing him out, yelling, screaming to get him out of there. And not in this case. No, it was a different different thing because there was a hunger for the things of God. And this is how revival starts. Revival doesn't start out with just God picking a place and boom, dropping his spirit there. No. Does it start with prayer? Yes. But the prayer must accompany something, an intense desire, hunger for the things of God. And God will bypass a million places to find one place where there's people there and whether it's a group of 40, like that helped start the Azusa revival, or whether it's hundreds of hundreds and hundreds, like here at Ephesus, there was a hunger throughout that whole area for the true and living God. So uh, I'm going to be teaching this uh, in the days to come. I'm going to teach this whole thing, the end of chapter 18, all the way through chapter 19, into chapter 20. I call it anatomy of revival. And I'm going to be teaching that here in the days to come. And so uh, in this particular case, the Great Commission has two parts. There's evangelism, and we also have discipleship. Evangelism, uh, getting people saved, was brought around by the book of Mark, Mark chapter uh, 15, 16, the closing of the book. He gave the uh, instructions, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Whoever believes will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be damned. And then the other side of the gospel is brought out as discipleship. Once a person is saved, then Matthew brings this out in chapter 28, go into all the world teaching. The first part, notice this evangelism is preached, going to all the world preaching the gospel. Then this one, going to all the world teaching to make disciples out of those that have been saved. Preaching mainly belongs to sinners and teaching mainly belongs to uh, Christians, to believers. So Matthew brings this out, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. So that's the two parts of it. And oftentimes we find the word of God. Maybe this is why Jesus sent them out two by twos. One could get them saved and one could start discipling them. And this is what happened with Paul. 
Paul in the office that he had of, a, of uh, being an apostle could go out and basically do the work of all of them. But he left his disciples back there, those that followed around him to disciple the people. So in essence, we all have strengths and we all have weaknesses and we need each other. No one person fulfills everything. And even Paul, as great as he was, needed a team around him. Jesus, as great as he was being the son of God, but also the son of man had limitations. As the son of man, he could only do so much and he had a group of people around him he trained with the Sermon on the Mount. So these seven sons of Sceva appeared during a revival in Ephesus. So we're going to Acts chapter 19. We're gonna be looking at verses 11 through 20. While you're finding that, let me again say thank you to those who watch and those of you who participate in prayer and also in the giving into this ministry on a monthly basis. You are my partners. I know you hear this from ministers everywhere. We want partners, we want partners, but I found out something. You can't do it by yourself. You may think you can. Oh, well, God can get it all done. He still works through people. And even you and your works, you work through people to get back to God. Giving, giving, I don't give to God. I don't throw my money in the air and God keeps it. No, I give to God through people. Tithes and offerings to ministries down here and God in essence receives it. My tithe, even though I give it in my church, it said there the Lord receives it. Jesus receives it of whom it is witness that he ever lives. So when I give it into a church and a pastor or you know the people that take up the offerings and count the offerings receive it, Jesus is receiving it in heaven. So I thank you for being a partner with me and giving into this ministry because we're doing it for the work of God and this is eternal. You can buy a car, it's not eternal. A house, it's not eternal. These are all necessities of life and you know, your meal tonight that you're gonna eat, that isn't eternal, but the things you do for God are eternal. And it's like sowing seed into the ground. It just keeps producing and producing. Even after you're gone, it still keeps producing and producing and producing. So if you'd like to become a partner with me, go to bobyandian.com. You'll find a place there where you can become a partner. Thank you in advance for just being obedient to God and for the love of the work of God. Acts chapter 19, verse 11 through 20, it says, God works special miracles by the hands of Paul. This is miracles out of the ordinary. Things out of the ordinary happen during revival. During the regular times between revival where we're having church and people are getting discipled and things like that, you don't see the extra extraordinary miracles that happen, but again, they happen. And it seems like during revival, there's always something that marks that revival that is special. During Azusa revival, the glory of God was so strong, it was visibly seen as the cloud in the meeting, children played it. I talked to a woman not that long ago who's in her 90s right now, and she talked about she was around and her mother was around during that time, and her mother used to tell her that, you know, that uh, she was in that revival and said that you, as a small child, ran through the cloud. Your friends ran through the cloud. You'd play hide and seek in it during the church service. So we see this in the charismatic movement. Legs grew. It was just a normal thing, but it wasn't seen in any other revival except the charismatic movement and it was almost like it became so commonplace, so ordinary that short legs grew out. And so here it happened in this, what happened in this one, miracles were done by the hands of Paul so that from his body, verse 12, were brought to him the sick, handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from them and the evil spirits went out of them. What was, you say, well, God's worked through handkerchiefs or God's worked through, uh, you know, through cloth before. Yes, it was on Jesus, but they didn't run to Jesus with their own cloths and lay it on him, then run out into the town and put them on the sick people 
and those that had diseases. Jesus did that himself. People came to Jesus for their own personal healing. But in this particular case, people started running up to Paul with handkerchiefs and aprons, laying them on Paul's body when the power of God was on him. And then they'd run out all through the city and lay them on demon-possessed and sick people. And the diseases departed from them and the evil spirits went out of them. Miracles, signs, and wonders. Miracles occurred in Jesus' particular individual ministry through cloth. That was Mark chapter five and verse three. 30 and uh, Luke chapter six and verse 19. And the sick came to him, not him going to the sick, although at times he did. But here we, they came and even begged in one time, let us touch the hem of your garment. And the Bible says, as many as touched him, they were healed. Jesus felt the uh, power go from him into the woman who went up there and touched the hem of his garment. And he said, power has flowed out of me. And so uh, he said, somebody touched me. His disciples said, well, of course people are touching you. But they didn't touch him in faith. This woman touched him in faith, even said to her daughter, your faith has made you whole. So this is special because Paul stayed in one place and people came to him with the claws and then ran out to the sick. Up until this time, Paul has laid hands on sick, gone to different parts of the city. And in other cities, he's done the same thing. But this was special in that God did this at his time in Ephesus. Verse 13 says, then, then certain of the vagabond Jews. The word vagabond here means traveling Jews. They had a sideshow and they were traveling vagabond Jews. And what did they do? They were called exorcists who took on themselves to call over those who had the evil spirits, the name of the Lord Jesus saying, we adjure. This is the verb form of the word for exorcist. I'll give you the word here in just a moment. This is the verb form for exorcist. And so they basically said this, we exercise you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. The vagabond Jews were traveling Jews and there were seven sons, all of one man named Sceva. We're gonna take this up again. And in so doing, they traveled and they were mainly around this area because there was so much demon oppression around the area there of Ephesus. In fact, they worshiped Diana. It was sexual frenzy that went on during this time. And around those types of sins are demons. But it was passed off as religion. It was a great city for people to come to, much like Las Vegas today. I mean, you'd go there, say we're going there for a business meeting, but you know good and well, business will only be part of it. The rest of it is going to be lust and sins of, you know, of adultery and things like that and fornication. This went on all the time. And so because of that, it attracted so much sin around it. And the seven sons of Sceva went there and they were called exorcists. The Greek word exorcizo means this. Here's the definition of the word. One who cast out devils by magic formulas and incantations. In other words, it's a person working in league with Satan to do the works that are being done. And so Satan is appearing as an angel of light. Satan is appearing as one that's come to help the people, but he's really come to rob the people and to draw attention to himself. And much like in Paul's own life, where the little girl traveled after him yelling out, these are servants of the most high God. It took Paul a while to recognize this thing because yes, it was, but they were using it to draw attention to her. She was making herself and the demon in her was making her look like she was a forerunner of them. And I'm here. And when, listen, when these guys are gone, you've got me. No, it was totally a scam. And finally, Paul saw it and cast the devil out of her. So it says again, certain of the traveling Jews, exorcists, this was a traveling, basically medicine show. And they went around the place and they charged exorbitant amounts to get demons out of people. But the demons really didn't come out of people. The demon would just turn loose of the person, stay there, and then after a while, grab hold of them again. And so they had a great return business. 
Not only did they get uh, paid for casting, supposedly casting the devil out, but they came back later and the demon might be worse this time. It travels through dry places if it's cast out, but in these cases, it was not cast out. And so the demons inside that person stayed there, turned loose, and were just off for a while. The person seemed normal, and then one day, bam, they took back hold, hold of them again and said they took on themselves to call over those who had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, we exercise you. Here is the verb form of exorcizo. We exercise you by Jesus, whom Paul preaches. Here's the interesting thing. They were losing business. Paul came to town and did not charge anything and cast out devils. And on top of that, the devils stayed gone. He literally cast them out. A vagabond here, the traveling Jews, these exorcists only worked in league with the devil and they used magic formulas, incantations, but they found out something. This guy named Paul used the name of Jesus. They said, let's, let's use the, let's take our formula, which works, and add the name of Jesus to it and see what happens. Boy, did they find out what happens when you mix Satan and God together. You mix the things of the world and the things of Satanism and the things of witchcraft and try to mix it with the things of God. You're gonna find out real quick which has the greater power. And so they decided to use the name of Jesus. They probably sat in on meetings, watched Paul from a distance. He kept using this name, Jesus. And so they said, you know what, it worked, let's take it. Probably sat on the back row, then left and went back out and planned on how they could use it in their own uh, speaking to the people people in their own uh, usage of this, in their own business of casting out devils. And boy, were they in for a shock. We'll talk about this when we come back from halftime. See you right after the break. At the dawn of the church age, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit and power to his followers. From Pentecost, they were led by his spirit to blaze a trail through the hazardous maze of pagan cultures and religious legalism. Like wildfire, the gospel spread through the known world, bringing salvation to a whole generation and triumph and trial to the church. In a New Testament commentary on Acts, Bob Yannian explores the exploits of those sent to uproot the binding vines of religion and philosophy and to sow the kingdom of God. Through evaluations of early congregations and detailed descriptions of their cities, Pastor Bob walks us through the exciting, perilous adventure of the early church. Order a New Testament commentary on Acts at bobyendian.com. This newly revised and expanded handbook is packed with biblical wisdom and practical guidance from the pastoral trenches. It will help to equip and encourage you in your ministry. Bobby Endian, a veteran pastor of more than 30 years, provides answers to common questions relating to your everyday pastoral duties and personal life. Bob covers topics such as the first pastor's conference in Acts 20, passion versus calling, daily schedules, living a balanced life, wolves after your sheep, the glorious church, pastors need pastors, whose flock do you pastor, spiritual workaholics, Family Before Ministry, The Pastor's Heart, and The Bond of Peace. Bob will help you apply timeless biblical wisdom to the issues and dynamics of today's pastoral ministry. To order, visit our website at bobyandian.com. Bob Yandian Ministries is training up a new generation in the Word of God. Because of your generosity, this teaching ministry is able to change countless lives. You will never know until you get to heaven how many people received Jesus, were filled with the Holy Spirit, healed, or found God's will for their life through your support and prayers. If you would like to become a partner with Bob Yandian, visit bobyandian.com and click on Partnership. 
Let's take a look at verse 13 again, back here to the ministry that uh, Paul is about to face and, and Jesus Christ is about to face, the Holy Spirit is about to face with these vagabond traveling Jews who worked in league with the devil. And it says in verse 13 again, then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon themselves to call over those who had evil spirits, the name of the Lord Jesus saying, we adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Because Jesus was such a popular name, they said, we wanna make sure uh, demon on the inside, you understand we're talking about the Jesus that Paul is preaching over there. And it goes on to say, there were seven sons of a man named Sceva, a Jew and a chief priest who did so. The offer I'm offering is the book of Acts. And uh, it's not, I didn't write the book of Acts. Okay, I understand that. It's my book on the book of Acts. And I take much more detail than what I'm going here, even in this broadcast for you to understand about the seven sons of Sceva and the aspects of what Satan does. Even today, I mean, I've heard about it in rock concerts from satanic groups at the end, even lay hands on the sick and there's healed supposedly. Satan cannot heal anybody, but he can. If it's demon possessed uh, oppression and sickness, that demon can turn loose of them, make it appear as if these guys are really working, uh, you know, in league with God. And then once that happens, they sway many to follow after them. And this is what the seven sons of Sceva did in the area of Ephesus. It's interesting here, they're noted in verse 14. I want to stop on verse 14 for just a moment, a short verse, but notice this. And there were seven sons of a man, Sceva. These are the seven sons of Sceva, known as the seven sons of Sceva. Notice this, a Jew and a chief priest which did so. Notice these were seven sons of a chief priest. And as a chief priest, he had to be in Jerusalem. And his name is Sceva. Isn't this interesting that their father's name was brought up? Why was their father's name brought up? I mean, this has nothing to do with the story or does it? It does because why? The one who wrote the book of Acts is Luke. And we're going to go back in just a moment, take a look at Luke and find out Jesus has met Sceva before. And these seven sons have been seen before. And apparently Luke was with him at the time and wrote about it in the book of Luke. And now he runs across the seven sons. Before that, he ran across Sceva and found out that Sceva had sons. Now he meets the seven sons of Sceva and even puts it in there. Otherwise, this makes no sense as to why this was put in there. Why put in there that they had a, son, a father named Sceva if he has nothing to do with it? On top of that, even if he was a Jew and a chief priest, that means he didn't live here. He lived back in Jerusalem. And this really brings the story around to something interesting. These vagabond Jews traveled and they cast out demons for money. They learned it from their father, Sceva. An exorcist is one who casts out demons with magic formulas and incantations, as did their father. They learned so well from their father that when it came time for them to go out on their own, the father said, I have Jerusalem wrapped up and some people work with me. You go find yourself a place. And boy, they could find themselves no better place than the area of Ephesus, which was infested with demons always surrounding a worship of idols and worship surrounded by sex. All this stuff attracted demons from everywhere. And they went there because people became demon-possessed and they passed themselves off as ministers of God who could cast out the devils. And by this time, they were known. People respected these seven sons of Sceva. And all of a sudden, Paul comes along and does a better job than they do without charging any money for it. And they were losing business. So it comes back to this. An exorcist works in cooperation with Satan. He's not against Satan. Believers are not exorcists. Understand this. This is the only time you find the word exorcist in the word of God in the noun and the verb form in this one verses of scripture. 
and they were exorcists and they said, we exercise you in the name of Jesus to come out of this person. So believers are never called exorcists. We are called those who cast out devils. And the Greek word for casting out devils is not exorcizo, where we get exorcists from, it's the word ekbalo. Ekbalo means to throw something out, to cast something out. And that's exactly how it's translated. We cast out devils. We don't just speak to them and they shut up for a moment, then they come back stronger later. No, we actually cast them out in the name of Jesus. That's the authority that God has given to us. I don't have authority over them, so I don't use the name of Bob, but I can use the name of Jesus as Paul was doing. Paul never said, I cast you out in my name. I can't say that to a sickness or a disease. I command you to come out in the name of Bob. It won't work that way. It works in the name of Jesus because he gave me the power of attorney through his name. And I stand there as if I am Jesus using his name. And so they apparently watched Paul and heard him use the name of Jesus. So they added the name of Jesus to their incantation. They learned their trade from their father, a Jew, a chief priest in Jerusalem who was also an exorcist. And they probably had to leave Jerusalem for a new place, settling with Gentiles in Ephesus, and they became heroes. These seven sons of Sceva, you always mention their name. I know they become a reverence over people. These men have authority over demons. No, they don't. They were only making it appear as if they cast out the devil. The devil was still there, turned loose of the person for a while, then grabbed hold again. That demon never left that person. Sceva's name was given because he was already been in the Bible before. Jesus met Sceva, and guess who must have been with him? It must have been Luke, who stood there, recognized this, and added it to the book of Acts. I know what you're thinking. Has Bob gone crazy? No, let's go back and take a look at it at Luke chapter 11. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus is about to cast the devil out of a man that can't speak. He's called dumb here in this in this verse of scripture. All right, in Luke chapter 11, take a look with me at verses 14 through 20. Jesus has been traveling all around the area and comes here. And while he's casting out this devil, there's a group of Pharisees around him, including Sceva. Now, Sceva isn't mentioned by name, but boy, is it brought out strongly after we've read the book here in chapter 19 of Acts, we can recognize Sceva. And so it says in verse 14 through 20, he, that is Jesus, was cast Casting out, ekbalo, Jesus was not an exorcist. He was never called an exorcist. We are not called Ephesus, exorcist. We are called children of God who cast out devils. It says he, Jesus was casting out, ekbalo, a demon, and it was dumb. The demon was what caused the man not to be able to speak. It came to pass when the demon was gone out that the dumb man spoke and the people were astonished. But some of them, this is the Jewish leaders, said he cast out devils through Beelzebub, the chief of the devils. They said, this man is working in cooperation with the devil. Boy, talk about the pot calling the kettle black. These are the guys that work in league with the devil and they're blaming Jesus for what they do. Some of them, Jewish leaders said, he casts out devils through Beelzebub, the chief, the leader of all demons. And others testing him sought a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to destruction and a household divided falls. He's simply saying, you think I'm working in league with the devil. You're the one working in league with the devil and you claim that it's God. And so you're dividing yourself against God and your house is going to fall. If Satan, verse 18, also is divided against himself, how shall his kingdom stand? But if I by Beelzebub, if it's true, let's suppose it's true. If I really cast out devils by Satan, by whom do your sons cast them out? Whoa, your sons cast them out? 
Their sons were learning from them. Their sons were picking it up from them. I think Jesus was standing right there and Sceva was right there. And that's why Luke brought him up later because this is the one he addresses that your sons can. If I do it by Satan, then whom do your sons cast them out by? Therefore, they will be your judges. But I, with the finger of God, if I'm the one who casts out devils and I'm doing it by the finger of God, I don't need all of heaven. I don't need all the power of God. In fact, in the Bible, the finger of God was the least amount of power mentioned in the Bible. He created the universe with his fingers. That's found in Psalm 8. And then next of all, he created the earth. His earth declares his handiwork. There's more strength in your hands than there is in a finger. But with God, he just put the whole universe out there with a finger of power. But when it came to making the earth, he used his entire hands. But we find in Isaiah 53, when he redeemed us, it took his whole arm. Who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He said, if I do cast out devils by Satan, he said, then I'll be, then uh, who will be your judges? God will be. But if I do it, and I do do it, by the finger of God cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God has come to you. He simply said this, if I cast out devils by the devil, whom do your sons cast them out there? They will therefore be your judges. You have taught your sons what you do. Jesus was standing in front of Sceva telling him, Sceva, your whole kingdom's divided against itself. You're blaming me for operating on the devil and you say you operate with God. You have twisted the whole thing around. I operate by the hand of God. I cast them out. You only exercise them and they still remain. And later on, they come back and you make money off of this thing. And the whole thing with you is not the kingdom of God. It's making more money. And I want you to notice what happened. When they said this to the demon, apparently they had this man in a house. They took this man that was demon possessed in Ephesus, the seven sons of Sceva, and they took him to a back room and probably told him this. We have a new formula. We're going to try it out on you. We're not going to charge you this time. We're going to see how it works. They'd never used this before. And so they took this man off into a bed room of a house, closed the door, seven sons of Sceva and one demon possessed man. And they said to him, we adjure you in the name of Jesus, whom this guy Paul preaches to come out of him. And notice what happened, something that had never happened before. Verse 15 of Acts chapter 19, and the evil spirit answered them. They probably looked at each other and said, we've never had him talk back to us. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus, I know, and Paul, I know, but who are you? Satan, listen, you know what they're simply saying? We know Paul and we know Jesus, but we don't know you. That had to shock them. Now this demon didn't come out of the guy because this demon possessed guy is going to attack them. If it really worked for a sinner and someone that operates in witchcraft to use the name of Jesus and it works, then this man wouldn't have been able to do anything. But the demon was still in me. He jumps on them and attacks them. The evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? You know what this tells us? Hang on to this. Satan knows those who are born again as much as he knows Jesus. That's why Paul and Jesus' name was mentioned, but Satan does not know his own. These men are on his side. He said, who are you? Those who do not accept Jesus are not known in either kingdom. He's simply saying in this verse of scripture here, we don't know who you are and we're demons, but you know what? They weren't known in God's kingdom. Luke chapter seven says in verse 22 and 23 that on that day, many will say to me, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and in your name cast out devils? 
And in your name done many wonderful works, then I will say to them, you, I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. He's simply saying works will not get you into the kingdom, even if they're works like casting out devils and it's really done by the work of Satan himself. Don't give me the glory for that. I never knew you. This verse is saying if a person is not saved, he's not known in heaven and he's not known in hell. Satan doesn't know his own. Satan doesn't have a love list. He only has a hate list and God doesn't have a hate list. He only has a love list. Born again, people are on both lists. You want to get known in heaven and in hell, except Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And verse 16 goes on to say, the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, then overcame them. One man overcame seven, prevailed against him, and they ran out of the house naked and wounded. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks dwelling at Ephesus. Somebody from the Ephesus Gazette was standing outside the door and started snapping pictures of seven naked men running out of a door, being chased by one demon-possessed man. Oh, the power of God. Isn't it good to know that your name is known in heaven, but it's also known in hell? I'll see you next time. You can order resources, become a partner, or browse free articles and podcasts. You can also join our mailing list and receive weekly devotions and the latest ministry updates. Visit bobyandian.com. To contact us by mail, use the address on your screen. Thank you for watching today's broadcast. We'll see you next time on Student of the Word with Bob Yandian.